From Washington, D.C., this is the Korean American Perspectives, a new podcast presented to you by the Council of Korean Americans. Welcome to the Korean American Perspectives podcast, where we explore the triumphs and challenges of the Korean American experience and examine different sides of complex issues that shape our community. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy this episode. I'm Abraham Kim, the executive director of CKA, and I'm joined here in the studio with Jessica Lee, senior director of CKA. How are you doing, Jessica? Good, thanks, Abe. Well, thank you everyone for tuning into this new podcast series. Through Korean American Perspectives, we aim to showcase the diversity and incredible stories that are inherent to the Korean American experience and to highlight issues of national importance to our community. Everyone has a story on how they became who they are today. And we're really lucky to have interviewed two Korean American leaders, Eugene and Carol Choi, a husband and wife team uh, currently running the company United Exchange Corporation. And we're going to learn about how they grew up in Orange County, California, the company they are running together and their philanthropic story uh, efforts in Irvine and beyond. So on behalf of CK, Jessica traveled to Irvine uh, to meet with both of them to capture their story. Jessica, tell us about uh, what are some of the highlights of your interview with them? You know, it was such a great conversation and you'll hear more about our conversation shortly, but I was really struck by their insights having grown up in Orange County at a time when there weren't many Asian Americans and, you know, what it was like to try to maintain Korean language and culture uh, and seeing their community evolve, you know, and what role organizations like CKA can play in uplifting Korean Americans who are becoming more and more influential in society. And also we spoke at length about why they give back and, and how they define philanthropy. And it was just, you know, I think something that really um, left a lasting impression in me, given that, you know, like Eugene and Carol say, uh, Korean Americans are not known to be as philanthropic as we might be other, other than giving to our churches. And so kind of delving into the why uh, that is and, you know, why it's important to, to give back to our local community and beyond, I thought was really provocative. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you all. And uh, over to you, Abe. Well, thank you. I look forward to this interview. And now, Eugene and Carol Choi. Today, I'm pleased to interview Eugene and Carol Choi to hear about their careers in business and philanthropy, as well as get their perspectives on key issues that are affecting Korean Americans in Los Angeles area. Thank you so much for your time, Eugene and Carol. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. So Eugene, you're CEO and president of United Exchange Corps and a leader in consumer packaged goods industry. You've also been a CKA member since 2016. And Carol, you're a businesswoman, entrepreneur, and a philanthropist with ties to numerous institutions and community-based organizations here in Irvine. You're also a trustee of the UC Irvine Foundation and a board member of UCI Alumni Association. So just to start us off, can you both tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up? You know, were you born here in the United States or did you uh, immigrate at a young age from South Korea? Of course. Um, I was born and raised in Korea. Uh, I came to the States with our family when I was 15 years old. 
And we moved to actually Orange County in specific Irvine. And we still live in Irvine, believe it or not, after all these years. So our family settled in Irvine ever since uh, 1978. And, uh, you know, we've uh, been living ever since then. So I, I've been living in Orange County all my life, pretty much. I've been living in this bubble for quite a while. Right. And Carol, what about you? Um, I've immigrated with my family as well in 1969 to the United States. So it's been exactly this year's our 50th year anniversary oh. that we've been here in the States. And um, I lived in Cyprus and Irvine as well. Um, and I think those are the only two states, I mean, two cities that I have lived in. Right. And how did being Korean-American, you know, growing up impact you in any way? Were you proud to be a Korean-American? Was it, did you feel any differently from, you know, your peers or was it more or less normal and uneventful? I think a lot of things that changed since uh, we moved to Orange County back almost more than 40 years ago. Really growing up in Orange County and Irvine there weren't as many Asians back then. In fact, when I was in high school, I was one of the very few Asian in uh, any of the classroom. And since then, you look at the population now in Irvine, you know, there are more than 50% of the population in Irvine are all Asians now. And even when you look at a school like a UC Irvine, more than 60% of the entire student population is Asian. So last 40 years, a lot of influx in terms of uh, Asian community right. and the population grew into Orange County. And Carol, what about you? Um, I was always very proud to be Korean American. My mom has always told me as an example, hibiscus flower is the Korean national flower. And she always told me, you know, just because you lived in the United States, you can't turn into a rose. You are who you are, and that's being Korean-American. So she's always kind of put that to me ever since I was little. And so that culture is very special to my heart. And under any circumstances, I'm a Korean-American. That's great. Yeah, and in terms of just being uh, a Korean-American, uh, you know, I lived with uh, our family for many, many years. And, you know, I, I speak the language and I'm very fluent, and my parents are very comfortable speaking in Korean. So I, you know, really speak the language at home. You know, we eat kimchi and rice every day. So being a Korean really doesn't go away because you you live and breathe at home every day. That identity, being a, a Korean person or a Korean American person, just stays with you. Right. At least just for me. Part of who you yes. are. Yes. Yeah, and you're totally comfortable with it. And growing up, were there any important lessons or wisdom that really shaped your life and continues to influence you today? Well, back in 1969, when I came, my mom and my dad made me write diaries every day. Because there was no Korean school, there was nothing. But it was very important for them to go ahead and so that I could speak with my grandparent, my grandma, who lived with us. Oh, so you wrote the diary in Korean? Yeah, I wrote the diary in Korean because that was really critical for them. Every time I spoke English, I, we had this large five gallon, you know, like sparklet water bottle where I would have to go ahead and, you know, put in a quarter every time I spoke English because they say you will learn English whether you like it or not because you're living in America. But to speak Korean, that's extra special. And I want you to communicate with your grandma in Korean because that's the only language she learned. She knows. And so every night up to high school, I have written in Korean 
my diary. So we have a lot of Apple boxes with all these diaries filled in my my mom's garage because that was very important for our family to learn Korean. And, you know, back then I didn't want to because there was no school or anything, but it was probably one of the best lessons that I have now because our company is running an an international trade export uh, business. And if I didn't speak Korean, I think it would be very difficult because of all the suppliers that we have in Korea. So I'm very grateful for the insights that my mom and my dad had on me regarding to be able to speak Korean. And that's like, you know, it's very important in our family. And so we teach that to our kids as well. And so they also know how to speak and write Korean and everything. Right. So I think it's just that upbringing in the family is critical. Well, I think for me, uh, just growing (laughs) up, uh, our family... Uh, always attended church, and uh, and I've been going to um, in our family church for many many years. And it was a very small church. Church is a Korean Presbyterian church. I've been attending with our family, and when we got married, we actually went to the same church with my parents. And when we had kids, you know, our kids were growing up with the Sunday school and what have you. So I think having your community, your kind of close knit community, you know, within that that church circle, I think really helped us kind of shape our belief and what it takes to be a good citizen and what it takes to be serving other people and what it takes to give to needy and the marginalized. Mm -hmm. So I think some of those beliefs and the practice of giving, I think it really came from a lot of the the church upbringing, I would say. So... Here we are in the United Exchange Corp building. Um, tell us what it was like when you entered this business, I guess, some 20 years ago, you know, and was was there something about sales, marketing, you know, distribution of consumer packaged goods and things like that that drew you to this particular business? And how did you manage to grow this business so widely? So um, United Exchange Corporation, I founded the company back in 1993, and it was bringing value to the consumable goods. So, um, and I don't know if everybody knows this, but um, the first company that I started is, our supplier was LG. Everybody knows LG's phone, but they don't know the fact that they started in Korea, the first manufacturer that started the toothpaste. And they were supplying all the, the army and everybody else. So that's how LG got started. And so we were doing uh, private label HBA uh, toothpaste items. So bringing something that is valuable um, and there's a lot of private label and there's a lot of generic products, but, you know, it's bringing value, the same value on um, private label side of the business to the consumer without paying for all the advertisement like Crest and Colgate um, and the active ingredient being the same. So I always felt, you know, for the people that needs the same, same basic things, uh, either that can't afford to get the branded, you could always go ahead and go with the private label that is as good or even better than the national brand, which we call it. And, um, you know, because you're not taking, you're taking off all the uh, advertisement cost on the branded awareness. And, you know, in order, in regards to sales, it's, I don't think you could do, you could take anything personally. Because, you know, when you're in sales, you go ahead and you're trying to sell to your buyers and, you know, buyers have all their reasoning why, you know, why they go ahead and complain about your product or why they don't need your product. 
Well, you can't even take that personally because for one of the experiences that I had when I first started this company, I went back 18 times to the same buyer. Um, she had issues with the color. She had issues with the consistency. She had a lot of issues, but I never gave up. I went back and made those corrections because it wasn't about me. It was about the product. So with that consistency and with that perseverance, after going back there 18 times, she decided now I knew that it was going to be her product. She needed to carry that product from me. So she said, you know, going back 18 times, she decided, yeah, you know what? It's ex everything that I thought of that you went back and forth with me. And so even now, 25 years, she's still my number one buyer up wow. to now. After 25 years, I've started uh, working with her. So you can never take anything for granted and never take anything for personally when you're in business, but you've got to always work on it and be perseverant. Right. Eugene, did you meet Carol through the company or were you? Oh, I, no, no. We, no, no. I scouted him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I, uh, I was in the high tech field for 15 years and uh, I think that was uh, back in 2000, you know, I finished my MBA at that point. And that's when Carol really started her company a few years back and had a few people in the office and had a very small warehouse to keep the merchandise. And she needed a lot of help, actually, at the time. And um, she was asking for help to come into the company and help her you know, to run the business. And that's when I stepped in mm -hmm. to come in as a kind of business manager. And since I've been working in a more of a corporate environment, I've seen a lot of things that had to be done as a business organization. And I brought in some of those practices I learned as a business manager and helped develop products and help grow the company from that point on. So mm -hmm. ever since then, uh, I've been doing this for about 20 years. So I have two kind of careers in a way. I have first mm -hmm. career kind of as a career person who's trying to move up the corporate ladder and second career kind of as an entrepreneur, right. trying to run this business building, and grow this business. Right. Building it and expanding yes. it. And wow. I'm so, grateful. I mean, I'm really grateful. Yeah, because, I mean, there's, you know, because we work together, we see each other every day, you know, and then we go home together and everybody says, you know, do you guys really have a marriage life or, you know, do you guys ever fight? Of course, we have our differences. But one thing that I think that keeps our marriage and keeps this business together is that we have respect and we have trust. He's my best partner. He's my best friend. He's my best um you know, husband, kids for my dad. Um, but that's really important when, when you have, you know, two people working together because, you know, it's almost like you see each other 365 days, right? right? And that's a lot of time, a lot of hours. But because I have that respect and even in our operation business, there's certain things that he manages, such as he manages all the, all the national sales team. He manages all the operations. He manages all the finance so and the QA. And what I do is I manage, you know, the marketing team, the, the product development team, and so and the purchasing team. So it's kind of divided. Right. And we don't 
try to go ahead and we report to each other to certain, you know, knowing what's going on. But we really go ahead and respect where if that's the final decision that that person has, that Eugene has made, I have no quarrel that I go ahead and follow it and have that respect. I think that is really, um, I think that is just the best thing that we have with each other. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is. I'm so envious. <laughs> Not that difficult because you know what you're good at and you know what he's good at. Right. So you try to bring the best out of both of you. That's and brilliant. That's at, absolutely brilliant. At the end of the day, she's the boss though. <laughs> so I want to kind of fast forward and, and talk a little bit about what's happening here um, in California and, and talk about you know, your involvement, not just with the Korean American community, but really with, with your community at large. Um, what would you say are some of the challenges facing the Korean American community in California today? And how far do you think our community has come since the LA riots? Eugene, do you want to start us off? I think um, there, there are some generation gap from what I see as far as uh, the first generation Korean Americans who immigrated into this country and, and there are two, I think, uh, major gaps that I see. Uh, one is a language gap and the other one is a cultural gap because they've grown up in Korea and they, you know, moved their life into a new country and totally a new environment. And they really don't have much familiarity with the culture they need to adapt into the U.S. life. Um, Whereas the second generation, they are typically either born here in the States or they grew up as a youngster who immigrated with their parents. So they really do not understand the way their parents grew up in, in Korea. And sometimes they do not understand the way their parents think or the way their parents behave in certain ways because that's just not in line with what this culture requires in the U.S. So sometimes I see gaps in terms of the thought process between the first and ge second generation and in terms of uh, trying to understand each other from both perspectives. And, and I think a lot of times for the first generation, um, you, you do have some sympathy and, and understanding of their point of view because they really do not understand the culture and the language. And from second generation standpoint, they do need to have a more understanding of the first generation because they just came to the States from, you know, the Korean lifestyle they are so comfortable with or they are used to. And they do need to understand more about the traditional, the Korean value and culture. And sometimes I see that as a gap in Korean American society. Right. For me, after the riot, I think we've moved, um, I think we're, we're getting there slowly because, you know, we have a lot of the, the second generation that are, you know, involved and that are engaged in the communities and that are educated here. And I don't think that uh, we're not as naive as when we were at that time. However, I think it's very, very important that all of our parents have sacrificed to come to the United States for the America dream. What is that America dream for them? It was education and it was for us to have better lives. Sometimes we forget that because we're so busy with our own lives. Sometimes they feel very lonely and they feel disrespect from us. So I think us 
when we talk about everybody, whether we like it or not, we are Korean Americans or American Koreans. It's in our blood, with blood, whether you're born in here or not, because of our motherland and because of our parents. It's very important that we are the bridge because our kids that um, that are born here are almost second or third generation. We need to be the bridge for our parents and our kids. So when you're like at our age, people call us a sandwich age because we have to go and take care of our parents as well as our kids. So we're at this conjunction right now, but it's critical that we build this bridge because we do have cultural differences. We do have communication gap. And right now where we are, it is a generation transition period. So it is critical that we acknowledge this and that we are informed with both sectors and that we come together with collaboration and understanding of where each other's point of view is. And I hope we could do that. I hope CKA could do that with the Korea and the American, you know, where we are structured right now. Because sometimes I hear like, oh, well, we're Americans. Well, yes, we are. But you have to remember, we all at night go and have kimchi or whatever. And we like that. Because part of us still, we, you know, we long for that. And we love going to Korea. Why? Because there's something where we feel very comfortable. And that's all good. So we can't just go ahead and just put it in our back, you know, in our burners. But we have to go ahead and acknowledge it, accept it, and really be the true bridge of the Korean-American culture and our community. I think that's right. I mean, as, as you know, as somebody who has a child who, you know, thinks about these issues, I think there is a part of us that's very proud of the fact that we're so well assimilated and we're part of the fabric of American society and we're successful and we're trying to, you know, really um, do something bigger than ourselves and be really out there. But as you just pointed out, part of it too is just a recognition and understanding that we have, you know, this identity that is both Korean and American and to completely deny your Koreanness doesn't, it's not true to who you are. And so, and it's, it's hard because not all of us, you know, were raised to retain our Koreanness and the language and that, you know, cultural understanding. But certainly as you, as you kind of, you know, become part of the American society and you reflect, I mean, a lot of CK members that I speak to talk about that, you know, how it wasn't really until they were 40, 50 years old where they turned back and they said, wait a minute. There is something special about being Korean. And also, I want to see more people who look like me and who live through my experience in my shoes. It shouldn't just be me, you know, alone. So I, I think all of those things that you said are, are right. What a fascinating conversation thus far, Jessica. I particularly like the part where Carol's mom used to make her pay money to speak Korean, right. that's that's pretty funny. I, I know actually, having grown up in California, I know uh, some parents actually wanted their kids to speak Korean at home, but I know some parents didn't want them to speak Korean, actually speak English, because they felt like if they spoke Korean, it would impact their ability to learn English quickly. So it's, it's fascinating to hear some of these stories. Yes, and I really enjoyed hearing about Carol's 
childhood memories of keeping a Korean diary because that actually was something that I had to do as well growing up. Uh, my parents were very concerned that raising their three kids in New York, that it'd be, you know, a matter of months before we forgot our Korean. And so, you know, these are the little stories of, um, you know, struggles, but also uh, incredibly valuable lessons that I think our parents teach us about maintaining our dual identities. Yeah, I look forward to actually this next part. I think about philanthropy and giving back. I think that's an exciting part of their story we would love to delve into. So let's turn it over to you, Jessica. You talked about upbringing, and I understand that your mother has has really played a major role both in that understanding and also, you know, through Somang Society, which is a nonprofit that, you know, your company obviously has supported over the years. Tell me a little bit more about your mother and, and philanthropy, your philosophy there. So my mom is a registered nurse. So I think she has this whole nightingale perspective on everything. Um, she has the heart of a goal that wants to go in and help with anything. It doesn't matter what it is. She's out there. Um, she's now 85 and she has an organization called Homang Society and it's about helping Alzheimer's and Korean senior elders with their, um, you know, being well, dying well and aging well and things to that nature. And um, so what I've learned from my mom while I was growing up is being able to be always the, the giving part is not just about finance or it's not just about your time or it's not just about your t um, talent. But I think where she got this and where I've learned is what Eugene was saying. It's that Christian faith background. What's important that my mom has taught me is it all starts from your upbringing and your family. That is critical because if you don't see your parents practicing it's hard to go ahead and be a role model when you're not doing anything and you're taking your, you're telling your kids, this is what I want you to do. That's never going to happen because your kids are looking at you all the time. And I look at my mom and she's always have been just always at front, always trying to go and help others and share everybody, share with what she has with everyone and just embrace everyone. So this philanthropy, philanthropist being, when you were saying we're philanthropists, I'm like, what is really a philanthropist? It's just sharing what you have. It's really simple. It's not as what people, it's not as glamour or what, I don't think it's any of that. It's very simple that I'm sharing my day today with you. I'm sharing my time with you. I'm sharing my food with you. You know, I'm sharing what I have with you because I'm making a difference in impacting our community and our daily lives. And I think that all starts from home and from your upbringing when you're a child. And I think with the Christian background, we had that in our family. So I'm so grateful for that. So, you know, when I met with Eugene, Eugene's, you know, faith background, it all just, we've never argued about, you know, donating or we never argued about, you know, helping because that's one of the reasons why we're here today. This country has given us a lot of opportunities and a lot of, you know, great platform for us to grow. It's time to pay back in every way that we can. And that's impacting um, our community in many different levels. Yeah, so, so that being a philanthropist, uh, I, you know, can be a big word. And so I kind of 
looked it up uh, in a Google, and what, what is the definition <laughs> of uh, being a philanthropist? And it, it says uh, it's a person who donates time, money, experience, skills, or talent to help create a better world. And anyone who can really make a contribution with the talents or treasure or time can be a, a philanthropist, you know, regardless of status or net worth. So it's all about giving uh, gifts of, you know, your treasures, which is, you know, time is a treasure and talent is a treasure. And obviously the financial or the money factor is a treasure to help a life better for other people. So that, that's kind of what the definition says. And um, I, I think anyone can be giving to other people and to back, go back to the society and be able to help other people to make this you know, society or the community a better place to live. What kind of world do you want to leave behind for your children? I think both of you kind of touched upon the various themes, but, you know, when you think about the future and, you know, the lives that your children and your grandchildren will live, uh, will have, is there something, whether it's value-based or some kind of, you know, principle that you really want to impart on them that uh, you think will be really important uh, and a lasting kind of legacy of yours? I think um, we'd like to look at the basics in terms of a family value. And uh, that's something we would like to leave with our two children. We have two children and they're all grown up now. So we're empty nesters and have, um, you know, really a simple message to our children that um, while they live in this society, now, look at their family values, and at some point, they're going to have a family of their own. And no matter really what happens to your career or your life or anything else, the, the fundamental value always stay with your family unit. And I really want to emphasize with our kids that you know, that's probably one of the most important things that you, know, you have to focus as a person to make sure your family unit will be healthy, be able to grow and be able to function as a single unit. And if we can teach our children that, I think uh, we've done our job right. That's the way I believe. Adding to that, I think having faith is very important. That's a gift from the Lord. And I think having that Christian love base is critical. Um, our children, what I would like to, you know, see them is really be responsible for their words and their actions with humbleness. Because I think your words and action is who you are. And I think that is very, very critical. And I always think there's two things that we all have in common in human. We have a heartbeat that we, everyone, it doesn't matter what race or what color you are, we all have a heartbeat. And that uh, God only gave us 24 hours. He didn't give you a single more second. So with those two things that we have all in common, I feel that if everyone could do in their own way their best in whatever fashion or whatever way that they could impact positively to the community, I think it will become a wonderful world. And I want to think that way. If I have to be a dreamer, I'm going to dream. Not going to, I'm going to really emphasize on the positiveness and on the gratefulness that we all have. You know, you travel all over the places, you know, when you come back here, 
so many things to be grateful for. And I think we really, you know, it, with different stages in our lives and with different things that's going on in, you know, in the world, I think to have, to be very healthy in not just your mind or your physical or anything, I think to have that always, that thankfulness, that gratefulness and that positivity is gonna, is what impacts all of us and brings us the best in us. So I want to be that dreamer and I want to believe in that. That's great. I, I think that's really eloquently put. We have just a few minutes left. I, I want to kind of get back to this topic of philanthropy uh, again. I think the way you broke it down in terms of the term being just a simple act of giving um, that's rooted in this sense of common purpose, um, I think was really beautifully put. What can we do? you know, whether it's CKA or as individuals who care about, you know, the greater Korean American community, what can we do to um, instill this sense of philanthropy and giving back? You mentioned earlier about the importance of giving to, to churches. And, and I think there is also more of an awakening, you know, particularly among younger folks that we need to invest in our communities through civic groups and civil society organizations as well. But, you know, can you talk a little bit about why, you know, that cultural philanthropy might not be as strong within the Korean American community as compared to say Jewish American communities? And, you know, what can we do about that? Well, I think, uh, I don't know about other ethnic groups, but I think uh, specific to a Korean American community, and it goes back to more of the immigration life. When the first generation parents who come to the States, they're very busy trying to make a living and try to survive in, in this uh, new environment. And that's a tremendous challenge they have to face. And oftentimes they do not think about what it takes to be a good community person. And your kids actually we'll see that actually growing up. And when your kids are not seeing the kind of community service that your parents are not used to handle on a daily family life, they really don't get to see it or they really don't get to learn from it. So I think a lot of the audience here, the, the first generation, I, I probably don't think they're are too many first generation, a lot of the, you know, either 1.5 or second generation audience who's kind of listening to this podcast, you know, they've, they've kind of grown in this culture and, you know, they've adapted to this, uh, you know, the, the, the U.S. lifestyle. And that's something they can do to teach their children or teach their peers by Doing something simple things, um, you know, if you have a children, you know, get them involved with the school. I mean, there are many type of uh, school volunteer work they can do as uh, students as well as parents. So get involved with the school. There are many of community volunteer work that they can get involved. And just by being a volunteer, they learn from it and learn from other people the way other people volunteer their time and their energy and their resources into make a better community by volunteering. And just getting involved with the school and the community activity will be really a learning ground 
for a lot of the people. And, and I think that's how I learned to be giving to the community. Um, my kids all did Girl Scout and Boy Scout. And as parents, we all got involved to help out, you know, not only with the troops, but with the community service and what it takes to participate as a good civil servant and be able to help other people, the needy, and, and be able to see things, be able to see the community in a different way where they need help. Uh, for those people who are marginalized, who are poor, you reach out to them and be able to give hands and be able to help others. I think just throughout those processes, I think people will be able to learn more and open up their heart for giving. In regards to our community, um, especially the first generation, I think they do give and they do give a lot, but it's to only churches. And I think there is an issue with that personally. Um, not saying not to give to churches or, you know, giving your titus. And that's all great. But I think because we live in this community and we want our kids to be focused and be able to go ahead and impact as leaders um, and to share their talents and everything, it's important to be involved and engaged and collaborate to work with the different organizations that the community has. Because at church, you do learn. And so I believe that in upbringing kids or even us now, we, you know, there's three things. You need your school teachers or faculties to be involved in their life, to learn and educate them. You have your family that need to be, that needs to uh, teach their kids the basics and the fundamentals, the foundation. And then you need your church to give you the faith background. Within all of those three things that's in collaborating, we could go ahead and go to the different organizations and be able to share what we have learned from that. And it's like, unless, you know, at a Girl Scout, I know there was an event where all the kids were, there was handicaps that people had wheelchair and had crutches and everything. Well, unless you are on that wheelchair and unless you have broken leg before and been on crutches, you don't know the difficulties, what they go through. So there was this one time where my daughter had to go through all of this and she felt how uncomfortable and how it was painful to see other people looking at them differently. So unless you're there, you really don't know. And through these organizations, you could go ahead and know what kind of differences you could make by feeling them and by knowing that, that you could go ahead and be able to help them out. And I think that's what we're trying to go ahead and teach our community because our first generation was all about church. And that's fine because that's where they could communicate. They could speak in their own language tongue, which was perfect. And they helped one another. And the kids all grew up and from church and from, you know, kindergartens to Sunday schools to everything. That's all great. Now we're at a different stage. Now we have the second generation, third generation. Now we need to go ahead with everything that we have learned from our community. We need to go ahead and now impact the other American organization because that's what's going to be bringing us to be more engaged with the community and enrich ourselves in this lives that we live in. I think that's exactly right. I mean, even in, in my time at CKA, the, the words that you just used, uh, Carol, you know, engaging, collaborating, and really building bridges with folks that don't look like us. We have done that work and it is so hard. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, unless you've done it yourself, it's really easy to just 
think about them in abstraction and, and never really understand that we're talking about painstaking work, right? Because these are people who don't have the same backgrounds and the same stories. So for example, in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, two years ago, we engaged with the NAACP and the Korean American and the African American community on almost a year long dispute after a violent um, uh, altercation uh, between a Korean American store owner and an African American female customer. And so that work was grueling, but as you point out, it's so vital for us to do that work <laughs> instead of being in our bubbles. Because mm-hmm. guess what? We are part of the American society. And no, so I... we can't ignore that there are folks around us that we need to talk to, that we need to communicate with and, and, and try to better understand. So I want to thank you so much for all that you're doing. Uh, we you know, barely scratched the surface in terms of your the depth of your involvement, but you know, suffice to say that, you know, what I'm taking away from this conversation is that this is just a very deeply personal matter for you both and that you're doing this not for glory, but really because you believe that you're making a difference and that this is going to really have a lasting impact. Um, So I want to give you all a chance to just impart any last minute wisdom uh, for folks who are listening who might be interested in your career paths or, you know, want to think more about ways that they can give back. Do you have any final words for us? Well, I think um, I'd like to talk a little about the CKA um, because there there are not too many organizations from a national level where uh, a lot of the Korean Americans, uh, you know, primarily the second generation can uh, get together and and be able to really learn from each other. So I think it's very difficult to meet the kind of like-minded Korean Americans, um, you know, really who's willing to serve the community. So I think it's a great organization where they can join the group and be able to learn from each other. Uh, there's so many talented people when I see the group, and there's just so many successful professional um, people who's done very well, and it just shows when, when you come to these gatherings. And it's a great place to network and be able to support each other and really participate in purpose-driven activities. And I think uh, the group can really build a cohesive network to really drive this national interest of the, you know, on behalf of not only the second generation, but even the the first generation as well, and really be able to represent the entire Korean-American community and be able to raise voice for the mainstream. And I think... It, it really has to be led by the second generation to really build, to build a bridge between the generations and be able to promote the collaboration. Because of the first generation, when you look at their side of things, they, they do need help because you know, there are some certain gaps that they have to overcome with the communication and the, the cultural understanding. And the, the second generation really doesn't have that issue. So I think they really need to take that torch and, and be able to really embrace the entire community and be able to be in a leading position to make a better life for the entire Korean American community. And I think we have a great opportunity through CKA to make this happen. Jessica, I just wanted to say thank you for the opportunity and the time. And um, I think we're at a very exciting moment and time in our history. 
in many ways, in many, many ways at all different level. So I think we all have our roles and what we need to do to impact and make differences in our community and in globally as well. So, you know, let's just go ahead and do what we are the best at it at whatever we do. And I think just word speaks for its actions and so that we could all go ahead and make differences in our own ways. Thank you so much, Eugene and Carol. That was uh, Eugene and Carol Choi of United Exchange Corporation speaking with me today in Cyprus. Thank you again, and uh, we look forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're so excited to welcome you to this new series, but we also welcome your feedback. So please let us know if there are uh, individuals that you'd like us to highlight, uh, stories or issues that you think really deserve closer examination. And feel free to reach out to us at podcast at councilka.org. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening in. And again, as Jessica mentioned, we love your feedback and uh, we'll be doing 10 shows as our, our prototype experiment. And we would love to get your feedback on how to refine this and make this even more educational and more impactful for our community. We also want to thank our producer, Kevin Koo at CKA, who has been working behind the scenes to make this podcast series a reality. And so thank you, Kevin. And thank all of you for tuning into today's episode. For more information on our episode and the show notes, check out our website at councilka.org. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the series. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning into the Korean American Perspectives podcast. Head over to councilka.org for the show notes of this episode and see exciting upcoming programs at CKA. That's councilka.org.